do it. Welcome to Take the Points, week 13, recording on a Monday night pre-Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. This is Tom here with Ryan and Dan via Zoom, and we're going to start the show off. It is Thanksgiving week, lots of eating going on. We're going to start with our favorite segment, Coach's Restaurant. This is where we pick a coach in trouble, and we think about somebody who might not have their job in a few weeks, or in this case, one week. And we try to set them up with a future career in the restaurant industry. Dan Partridge is in the biz. He knows a lot about restaurants. He knows a lot about coaches and he helps us find some alignment there. So Dan, today we're going to talk about Dino Babers of Syracuse who needed to win one of his last three games to be bowl eligible. He's lost two. He's got one coming up this week, which doesn't seem so good. He might be out of a job soon. Which restaurant would Dino Babers be most qualified to manage? Thanks, Tom. Uh, yet another hard choice this week. A lot of options you could go for, uh, you know, Coach's Restaurant this week. But as I contemplated this this week, I, you know, I was thinking about how Syracuse has changed since he came on board. You know, he was exciting and new at first. And then as time went on, you realize it was the same old shit that just made you sick. Therefore, he'd be great at Chipotle. Now, no other restaurant has had more E. coli, hepatitis, foodborne illness outbreaks than than Chipotle. When they first came on the scene, they were fun, new Mexican fast food concept. Everyone got really into it. But as you started to go there over and over again, you realize that, that it's just the same old shit and it will make you sick, much like Syracuse football. When Dino came on board, he was a fresh new start, very exciting, high powered offense. Now it's turned into the opposite. His defense is good, but it is the historically bad offense. He is a quarterback that literally cannot throw the football. Uh, they've been uncompetitive the past few weeks. They're not going to make a bowl game. And now they get Kenny Pickett, former or uh, who will be a Super Bowl winning quarterback eventually, will come to the Carrier Dome and hammer in the final stake into Dino's heart this Saturday. And we'll hopefully put him out of his misery. But overall, like I said, Syracuse and Chipotle were very exciting for a short amount of time. But as time went on, it's clear that both are mediocre, tried and true, and will make you sick. So therefore, Chipotle and Dino Babers are a match made in heaven. Dan, I want to give you a huge round of applause. This is my favorite one yet, and I'll tell you why. I have, I have many thoughts. We're trying to do a quick show, and you just you've set me up for too many thoughts. When I lived in New York City, New York, also known as Manhattan. There was a Chipotle about two blocks from my apartment. And this is before Chipotle was widespread. And everybody loved it. And everybody who came to visit me was like, oh, you got a Chipotle here. Cool. And I used to probably go there uh, once a week. Then I moved out of Manhattan. There still weren't Chipotles many places. But it started to expand and become like McDonald's all over the place. And then I realized... This place isn't that good. It's only good because it was exclusive. And that is kind of the way we felt about Dino. Like, oh, wow, we got this high-powered guy from Texas. Amazing. We shouldn't be able to get that, but here it is. And now, as he's been there six years or so, it's, uh, 
not new. It's not exciting. You realize it probably wasn't that great in the first place. And, uh, the first couple of years of Dino was that was the eating the Chipotle. And then the last four years of that has been the digesting, the processing of the Chipotle. And one is much better than the other. So, right, just, like, just like Chipotle, Dino's going to be rough on the way out. <laughs> That's what <laughs> I was so thinking at, but yes, thank you. Losing by 50 for like four straight weeks. That's, that's his <laughs> back in the way out. Yes. NC State minus 11 last week. Lock of the week. <laughs> no 100% coming in always. Yeah. Garrett Schrader wasn't exactly going to put up 30 points on the road. No chance. 0.0. They should have put in, tried Tommy DeVito. He's <laughs> around somewhere. I guarantee it. He's still hiding there on campus. He'll be on. He'll be around in a couple year. weeks for the Zach Mills award uh, nominee list. So we'll be, we'll be revisiting Mr. DeVito later this year. Because of COVID, you know, these guys can all come back for a fifth or sixth year in some cases. This could be one of the greatest Zach Mills achievements ever if a guy declines five straight years instead of four. <laughs> he is um, in the transfer portal. Can't wait to see where he ends up next year, but we will be keeping a close eye on that. It's oh, He'll be chopping so yeah, much wood. Yeah, 100%. He'll be chopping. <laughs> Not Michigan State chopping, but the true chopping down in, down in uh, Rutgers. All right. That's right. The reason we did our famous segment first is because this is one of the best weeks of college football of the whole year. We got a lot of lines to get to, so uh, let's not delay. I'm going to hand it off to Dan. We're going to go through the lines. Dan, where are we going to start? There's only one place to start. Thanksgiving night, Egg Bowl, Ole Miss, and Mississippi State. A nice year for the state of Mississippi. You know, Ole Miss at 9-2. and two. Mississippi State at seven and four. Mississippi State has played well. They got a couple nice wins. Uh, they came back from twenty-eight to three against Auburn. Um, Mississippi State a one-point favorite in this game. Total of sixty-one. Um, all the Ole Miss games have been going under lately. Mississippi State's got a pretty good defense. However, I'll start this one being an SEC expert. When Mike Leach was at Washington State, he always had trouble with Washington in the Apple Cup. And the reason because the or sorry, the uh, reason for that was always the defense of Washington. And they would drop seven or eight people into coverage and slow down his air raid. They always scored 13, 14, 20, 17 points or so in those Apple Cup games. Ole Miss's defense has vastly improved this year. They play a very strange system where they have eight um, defensive backs on the field at one time. And I really feel like Ole Miss's defense will be able to slow down Mississippi State in this game. I think this line's wrong. I think uh, you'd be crazy not to take Lane Kiffin, rivalry game, night game, egg bowl, superior quarterback, superior defense. Ole Miss minus one. Not sure on the total, but I love Ole Miss. Ryan? This is, this is the Matt Corral last gasp for the Heisman game. I mean, this is it, right? This is his last game. He's probably, I mean, they're going to win this. They'll be 10 and two. They'll get a decent bowl game, but not, not a high level bowl game. So there's a good chance he might sit that out. Um, considering he, she should be a first round pick, you know, he'll probably sit out the bowl game. So this is his last chance to uh, impress the voters last game as an old Miss player. 
I uh, I think that's that that's just too important to overlook. So I'm going to take Ole Miss too. Mm-hmm. All right, I'm going to make it a trifecta. I um, do feel like it's going to be close. Mississippi State is the hotter of the two teams, and they've been playing better the last couple of weeks. But for the reasons you guys mentioned, Corral's last game and trying to make a statement on his way out as you know the best or second best Ole Miss QB of the last 20, 30 years, I, I feel like he's got a chance to really cement that and cement his legacy. The defense is much better. And uh, again, like Corral, Lane Kiffin, they're looking, well, I shouldn't say this, but like they're, they're looking at, at this as a capstone project, whereas Leach and Will Rogers are just kind of getting going. So I'll take the more senior team and the team that's been better all season, the team that has a slightly better D. Uh, Ole Miss close, though. I say four points. I like it. All right, um, that's enough for Thursday. On to Friday, a lot of action again. This is the line of the week right here. Nine and two, Iowa on the road at three and eight, Nebraska. Taylor Martinez will not be playing quarterback this week. So you're telling me the nine and two team is on the road against a three and eight team. The three and eight teams missing their quarterback that's played every snap the entire year. Iowa minus one and a half. That's the craziest spread I've ever seen in my life. Tom, can Nebraska win without Taylor Martinez? Not only it's Adrian Martinez, but Whatever. it doesn't matter. Same thing. Yes. I'm going to say something that perhaps is controversial if there are any Nebraska fans listening, but uh, you're better off. And I'm going to take the Nebraska money line in this game. I actually think the lack of, of uh, Adrian Martinez is going to help them. I think he's commits too many bad plays and he puts Nebraska in a bad position. And he, I'm not going to say single handedly, but um, I, I don't know, man. I, I don't feel like they're ever winning the big games with him. And I feel like they got a better chance with the backup. So uh, a bold pick Nebraska goes into a situation that I think seems like a losing situation and they win it outright. And I could be wrong. It is Monday. So I haven't had much time to watch the lines, but I believe this line has gotten closer since he was announced out. I think it went down a half a point. So I think Vegas knows the deal too. I'm sure everyone loves him. I'm sure he's a nice kid, so I don't want to say anything bad, but I feel like they're in a better position on the field. Uh, Ryan, you got anything on this one? Under 41. There you go. Hey, uh, speaking of totals, I would like to congratulate myself on the over in Illinois, Iowa last week with our favorite COVID ridden Illinois coach being out. I think it's like the fourth time this year where we put money on an over based on a coach being out due to COVID or something like that. Sailed over the 38 and a half with ease. All right. Cincinnati at East Carolina. Cincy minus 14, total 58. Cincinnati, very impressive last week over SMU, blowing them out at home. It looks like they're penciled into the college football playoff. All they got to do is beat a 7-4 and four East Carolina team on the road the day after Thanksgiving. What can possibly go wrong? Brian? Over. Over 58. Uh, yeah, I think over 50. I think Cincinnati's – figuring some things out. They're putting up some points the last, you know, game or two. East Carolina can, can play some, you know, up and down football too. So for me, that's, 
that's kind of the play. I don't like the line. 14 feels a little high. Um, I think this should be more like maybe 10, 10 and a half. But uh, I'm going to stay away and just play an over. Very good. Tom Z. Yeah, I was wrong about Cincinnati last week. Way off. I thought they were going to lose outright to SMU, and they really showed up. So this is a team that seems determined to get into that three or four spot in the playoff. And I'm going to just roll with them. So I'll take an over, like Ryan said, and I will take a small bet on Cincinnati to win this one by uh, three scores, 17, 21, something in that range. Very possible, Tom. I'm going to go the other way and disagree. Now that everyone's penciled Cincinnati in the playoff, I will take East Carolina. East Carolina is 7-4. They lost their first two games of the year. Since then, they've won every game except for two losses, each game on the road, back-to-back by four points. They've won every home game this year except for the opener. They're hot. 14's a lot. Day after Thanksgiving, on the road, middle of nowhere. I'll take the 14. All right. uh, Moving on to Saturday. Let's go right to the big house. Ohio State at Michigan. Ohio State minus eight. Ohio State scored 5,000 points in the first half last week against Michigan State. Um, Michigan with an impressive win off over Maryland. Ohio State minus eight, total 63 and a half. Can Michigan keep it close with their defensive ends and running the football and being smart, Tom, at home? Is there a shot for Michigan in this game, or is this another Ohio State romp on the way to a walk? walk through big 10 championship game before the playoff. Yeah, this is a really tough one. I do. I mean, I don't think it's going to be like Michigan state, you know, that was an all time embarrassing performance by Michigan state last week and Ohio state blew the doors off them, but Michigan state really helped them out, you know, 49 Oh at halftime or whatever it was. I don't expect Michigan to fold in that way. That said, I don't think the way this Ohio State team's playing and we know how they do things, it's really hard to not lay eight and a half with them against um, a Michigan team that has a few flaws, uh, namely their starting quarterback. Their receivers are okay, but not great. They do have a great running game and they do have a strong defense, especially the, you know, Hutchinson and, uh, I forget that other guy's name, but coming off the other end. So yeah. they've got an Oregon-esque, like, you know, two-man killer combo on defense. So I think they can get to Stroud once in a while. But, man, Stroud has so many weapons. We've been saying this all year, but, like, he's going to walk into the Heisman and have huge numbers. But, like, it really is just the players around him. I, I mean, I feel like all there's – 14 quarterbacks currently starting in college who could go and play and start for Ohio state and do the exact same numbers and the exact same type of thing because the, the receiving core is unbelievably good. Travion Henderson has emerged as we thought he would as just like a Reggie Bush type exciting player. So Ohio state is peaking at the right time. Michigan is all right, but you know, once Ohio state gets up 10 or 14 points, I think it's kind of over. So I'll take Ohio state to win by 16 points and uh, I'll lay the points. And I, I don't know about that over under that seems right on to me. (laughs) Fair enough. Ryan thoughts on this one. 38, 17, Ohio state. I don't even think this is very close. 
I love your consistent hatred of Harbaugh and zero trust. You've not picked Michigan to cover a spread in four years, and you're definitely up uh, in the plus minus in that category. I have no clue. Part of me thinks Ohio State's going to blow them out. Part of me thinks Michigan's going to throw everything at them and keep this a semi-close game. If Ohio State hadn't won by 100 points last week, I would like uh, them more, but sometimes – you know, things just get a little, little kooky in college football. Uh, I'm going to take the over. I think both offenses can score a lot. I don't think Ohio State's defense is that great, actually. So I'll take over 63 and a half and try to have some fun with it. Can I say, um, I mean, Ohio State's on a mission. I just want to say uh, preemptive congratulations to the Ohio State Buckeyes for losing the 2022 National Championship game. It's Accurate. just college Very football good. is basically that now every year, right? It's which SEC team will beat Ohio State in the championship. Well, Tom, that's a pretty good segue. Georgia at Georgia Tech, Georgia minus 35, total 54 and a half. Georgia Tech is absolutely terrible. Zero defense, no offense. Georgia laying just 35. I'll take this one. Uh, They've turned into Alabama where you either bet Georgia or you don't bet it at all. Lay the 35. Smells like another shutout. Ryan, what do you think about this one? Yeah, they're due for the hat trick. They got two shutouts on the year. They're due for a third. This is probably the one. Georgia Tech's awful. Like, they got blown out by the U. All right, I'm counting up the, the points against for Georgia on the year here real quick. All right, here we go. 23, 33, 46, 53, 59, 69, 76. All right, we're at, we're at 84 points allowed through, what, 11 games at this point? Uh, I don't think Georgia, score, Georgia Tech scoring 16. The under 100 points Georgia allowed prediction is going to come in. That's truly incredible in a 12-game college football schedule in 2021. That's, like, incredible. So, uh, yeah, go ahead and lay the 35. Tom, I'm pretty sure you agree to this one. We don't need to spend any more time on this. I I, I have one thing to add, which is that um, on um, segueing from what you said about their defense, so a couple weeks ago, Georgia was the best team in terms of points allowed since 1992 Alabama which if you think about how the game has changed since then, it's absolutely incredible. And I'm pretty sure with what's going to happen in this game, that they're actually going to surpass that Alabama team. And, and, you know, we'll be going back to like the seventies or eighties, uh, fewest points per game allowed. And when you, again, when you think about the way the game has changed, think about CJ Stroud out there throwing the ball around. Think about a team like wake forest. Even these mediocre teams can put up 70 in a game and they're going to end up allowing potentially 10 or fewer points per game in an SEC schedule. It's one of the most re- remarkable things we've seen uh, probably <laughs> in our life. Georgia 59, Georgia Tech 0. Lock of the week. <laughs> well said. And go ahead and take Georgia first half minus like 21 or 24, whatever it is. It'll be 28 nothing end of the first quarter. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. And also take the Georgia first quarter line if you find one of those two. Uh, all right. 
this game's not really important, but I need to talk about something. Houston at UConn, Houston minus 32, UConn 1 and 10. Central Florida making an imposter civil conflict trophy. Who the fuck do you think you are? And good job by the whoever runs the UConn football Twitter page for tweeting in Central Florida. Did you get this trophy made at the same place where you got your national championship trophy made? Which is an epic zinger burn. It's so uh, good. It's an A-plus tweet and of the week. By the way, like the UConn sports programs don't tweet. So they're, no. they do like one a week and it was the zinger of the year. So congrats. <laughs> Did you get that made at the same place you got your national trophy by? Uh, anyway, lay the 32, moving on. Oh, this is the biggest game of the week. Florida State at Florida. Florida laying two and a half, fresh off another choke job at Missouri. Dan Mullen is fired after moving to the top of the tarmac report last week from off the board to number one to the regional airport at Columbia, Missouri. And out the front door, onto the plane. Actually, sorry, not on the plane. Left on the tarmac, over to the Greyhound station, on the Greyhound, traveling across the Panhandle, and back to Tallahassee or back to uh, Gainesville. Um, Florida State, by the way, sneaky, has beaten Miami and Boston College the past two weeks. I really uh, Jordan Travis is actually half decent as a quarterback, and Florida State might have the chance to be the first team to start 0-4 to make a bowl game ever. I think that I believe I read that right. Um, give me Florida State plus the two and a half. Uh, I don't think this Florida team cares at all. They had another ESPN top 300 recruit decommit today. That's the third one this month. The wheels are completely off on the program. Tom, question one, who wins this game? Question two, who's the next head coach of the Florida Gators? All right. First off, um, I dispute your, um, your sequence of events with Dan Mullen. I think he got like con aired. They just, they let him on the plane and they just threw him out the landing gear. Psych. <laughs> um, reference. But, uh, in terms of the game, I mean, Florida state, of course, if you bet Florida, you're insane in this game. Um, two teams trending in opposite directions as for the next coach. I mean, that's really hard and I don't really have an answer. I've been thinking about this one, but I'm going to kick it over to Ryan because I suspect you might have more of an opinion than me, but I just, I don't have a good answer for you. I'll think about it and get back to you on that one next week. Yeah, there's, there's a few, there's a few options. I think right now the leader in the clubhouse and it's going to sound crazy, but I think it's going to, there might be a bidding war between Florida and LSU for Billy Napier, the Louisiana coach. Like that dude can coach. He's been an assistant under both Dabo and Saban. Like that's, that's pretty good. Uh He's young. He's really talented and he's a bulldog recruiting. Like he's a really, really good recruiter. Um, I was actually earlier today, I was listening to um, podcast with uh, Bruce Feldman, college football guy. And he's been in on this Florida story from the beginning. Um, I think he was the one that even broke it, but uh, it was interesting because he actually came on his podcast. And he was like, look, I talked to a bunch of coaches 
assistant coaches, so forth in the SEC East and ask them like their thoughts on Mullen. He's like, it's bad. (laughs) No one respects him. He's like, no one respects his recruiting at all. They're like, he doesn't care. He doesn't do work. Like he doesn't recruit. We're not scared of going against him in a recruiting battle. That's not good. They're also like, you know, they're undisciplined, blah, 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 blah. Here's the biggest thing that I thought about it and I was like, oh my God, this is so good. This is uh, one assistant coach told him, he said, listen to every press conference after a Dan Mullen loss. And he always makes excuses for the loss. And he's like, the team hears that every time they lose a game, their coach makes all these excuses for why they lost. And they're, they're just like, oh, well, not our fault. We got screwed. Coach even said so. National TV. He, he said exactly why we lost. Not on us. So, like, it just gives this terrible attitude throughout the whole program because Mullen makes all these excuses every time they lost. And that was really interesting to me. It's something I didn't really consider. But once I heard it, I was like, oh, that makes total sense watching his team their attitude and the way they play, like you can tell. So I think he's like terrible for them. Uh, I kind of want to take Florida in this game because of how bad he was. But the fact that these assistant coaches are like, this team just doesn't care. So I'm going to go ahead and, and have to stick with Florida state like you guys. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. You know, I'm sure there's a lot of other names out there. Matt Campbell. So I was going to chime in because Franklin. I, yeah, my brain is not working, but I um, actually did hear a rumor earlier today about Matt Campbell interest in Matt Campbell from Florida. And this is pure speculation right now. Maybe something will emerge by the time people hear this, but I think it's a good fit for both. I mean, it's going to be hard for Florida to get, to get a marquee name the way they've been playing. And, uh, I think Matt Campbell's time is up at Iowa state. So that one makes sense to me if there actually, in in fact, is interest. We'll find out. Well, here's a game that might have a couple openings next year. Miami at Duke. Let me just put this one on a T for you, Ryan. Uh, Miami minus 21 and a half over under 68 and a half. Duke with the great game plan last week of uh, not really realizing Malik Cunningham could run the football and um, hey, you, he learn, you seven learn something every week, Dan, you know, it's all about growth over the season and learning. This appears to be the last game that David Cutcliffe will coach Duke three and eight and seven in the ACC worst defense I've ever seen. Uh, Miami has been known to just be beyond strange. So before we move on to more important things, I like the over 68 and a half in this game. I think uh, neither team gives a shit on defense. There's no tackling. Miami wins something like 58-23 or something like that for 80-ish points. Ryan, thoughts? No. <laughs> no thoughts in this game. Interesting. No, Very interesting. no thoughts. Hmm. Fine. Tom? Keep keep fishing, Dan. <laughs> I mean, I'll take Miami minus three scores. They've been playing well. They beat Virginia Tech soundly. So um, if they can beat them, I'm sure they can handle Duke. I, I'll take Miami minus 21. 
Why not? Very good. All right. Fair enough. Um, all right. Moving along. Um, we're not going to talk about this one, but Hawaii at Wyoming, Wyoming minus 10. Nice job by Hawaii scoring 50 on Adazio as an underdog last week of four points and blowing him out. That's, that's uh, fit the narrative quite well. All right. Let, let's move on to the Iron Bowl. Alabama, 10 and 1, travels at 6 and 5 Auburn. Alabama laying just 19 and a half. Total 55 and a half. Bo Nix out for the year. Auburn off a fresh loss to South Carolina. This is the week after they blew a 28 to 3 lead against Mississippi State. The wheels appear, appeal to be, appear to be off. Ryan, why is this line only 19 and a half? It's a road game. It's a rivalry. And honestly, there's not that much tape on the backup quarterback. And, you know, despite my calling for him to get more playing time above over Bo Nix, um, he's not the answer. You know, he's not going to go in and beat Alabama. So um, I think this line's going to get bet up. If you like Bama, I would take it now. This is definitely going to be over 21 by kickoff. So I like Bama. I really liked Auburn. When they were up 28-3 on Mississippi State, I was like, they looked so good. I was like, they figured some things out. They might have a chance to, to hang with Bama, maybe even pull an upset. And then they just crashed and burned for like six consecutive quarters. And they're just unbettable now. Truth. Z? Uh, no, Ryan summed it up 100% perfectly. So, agree. moving on. Well said. I agree. All right, uh, Oregon State at Oregon. Oregon State somehow, if they win this game over Oregon, wins that that side of the Pac-12 and moves on to the Pac-12 title game. Figure that one out. Oregon fresh off their thirty-eight to seven stopping at Utah. Can someone explain to me why Mario Cristobal decided to punt the ball to Kofi with five seconds to go in the half instead of blasting that out of bounds? Terrible coaching job. Team was unprepared. Oregon missing three of their top wide receivers, one due to transfer, two due to injury. The real Anthony Brown showed up like we waited for all year. It was over early and often. Utah, under, hook, some things never change. This game, Oregon minus seven, total 61 and a half. Ryan, what are your thoughts on this one? This is so hard. Like, this has been a blind Oregon bet for two decades, more or less. And I don't feel comfortable betting Oregon in this spot. I really don't. I think the seven is right. Vegas is right on, right on point here. This is, this is a one-score game. But I think that uh, Oregon State can keep it closer. I think there's some backdoor capabilities. I'm going to go ahead and take the seven here. Right. Uh, I'll chime in. I'm going to take an under 61 and a half. Uh, I watched the Arizona state, Oregon state 24, 10 game last weekend. Oregon state is not um, what they used to be, which was a wide open spread throw the ball. They're a, a physical smash you in the mouth type team. Oregon has no explosion left. They, they still have a good defense in theory, but Utah just manned them up bad. 
61 and a half is a lot of points. This game always has bad weather every single year. Even when like LaMichael James and Darren Thomas played, it was always like sleeting, snowing sideways. Even those games were like 28-17 somehow. So give me an under 61 and a half in this game. I'm a big fan of that bet. Totally agree. And let me uh let me jump in here. I don't I don't care about this game. This is in your territory, your part of the country, so I'll defer to you. But I would like to bring up another game before we move on, which is one of great importance to the Take the Points podcast. That is the University of Massachusetts goes to New Mexico State where they are <laughs> getting six and a half points. Mm-hmm. We talk about the greatest teams of our life. This is the opposite. This is historically throughout our life, the two worst programs, I would say, you know, even UConn has had some good years, so you can't put UConn here. I I would say total body of work, the two worst teams ever. And in other UMass news just announced UMass has hired a new head coach, Mr. Don Brown, defensive coordinator from your Arizona Wildcats. So what do you think of this coaching change, Dan? And do you have a pick for the game? Honestly, that's about as good of a hire as UMass could get. I mean, he's coached. He's got some NFL experience for the New England Patriots. UMass, Massachusetts makes total sense. It's a pretty good job. Arizona's defense actually wasn't as near bad as, as it was last year under Kevin Sumlin. Nice job by UMass and UConn. They 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 hired as good as they possibly could have. Not that they're going to turn their programs around, but whatever. It's not too bad. Um, that being said, give me New Mexico State. I don't know how, don't know how or why, but I feel like somehow they found a way to win this game. I um, extend the invitation to the two of you to come out here next fall and do the first ever live take the points. Well, live on site, take the points podcast from UConn, UMass, Mora Brown. Let's see if we can, I bet we could get some press passes to that. That's probably not a hot property. <laughs> All right, Tom, that's actually a pretty good idea. I, I might, I, I like to come back to East coast every third or fourth year. I'm, I'm due. So uh, maybe we can arrange, arrange this next year. Yeah. Last time you came back, we watched LSU versus Alabama, the Joe Burrow game. So it yep. makes sense. Now we would watch the worst game ever. Uh-huh. We're going to do a three, three and a half hour live stream from fucking Rentschler. It's going to be great. Looking forward to it. Um, a game we're not really going to talk about that much. Um, Western Kentucky at Marshall. Marshall minus one, total 75 and a half. Hats off to Western Kentucky. They started the season a little rough, playing a tough schedule against uh, Power 5 schools, but they've won all their games since then. They're 6-1 and one in Conference USA. Winner of this game gets to play in the Conference USA Championship. A bunch of the Western Kentucky games have gone over as expected. Nice job by them bringing in the, 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 the um, different transfers. Their quarterback, Zappy. 4,640 yards passing, 48 passing touchdowns this year. That's damn impressive. He's going to throw 50-something touchdowns this year. But the bowl game, probably 55 touchdowns. That's incredible. So uh, nice job by Western Kentucky with a couple sneaky offseason hires. Uh, since the game's a pick em, and I've talked about them all year, give me Western Kentucky and move on with the rest of your day. Yeah, uh, Josh Heupel, if you're listening, 
Don't you get on the phone and get that guy in the transfer portal? I know. Seriously. Uh, all right, Tom. Penn State at Michigan State. A straight pick em. Total 51 and a half. I know you uh, were very excited over that, that thrilling game against Rutgers last week. I'm sure you picked up a couple hours uh, snoozing, a little bit of nap, got to rest up a little bit. Um, can Penn State win this game and get to eight wins, or is Michigan State going to recover from Ohio State? Uh, very hard game to pick. Um, either could Either thing could happen. I think Penn State's defense keeps them in every game, and as we saw last week, Michigan State – uh, that offense is not quite as good against a good defense as they are against your uh, Purdue. Well, I guess they didn't play that good against Purdue, but against your Maryland's and your Rutgers, et cetera. The, the Big Ten can be very deceiving, especially depending on how they, they like to backload all the good games. So a lot of teams will come out and be really hot at the beginning of the year, and then they'll play all the good teams at the end of the year, and you'll realize, oh, this was an 8-4 and four team all along. So I think we're realizing that we had overvalued Michigan State to begin with. And uh, Penn State at this point is undervalued because even though they win, you know, they play ugly, their defense is really elite, I would say. I mean, I think they're, they've got one of the top five defenses in the country. Too bad their offense is one of the worst. And their running game, I think, is like, I could not have this wrong, but Penn state's run game is something like 120th in the country or it's down with the likes of UMass and UConn. So, uh, very bad, not good when you can't establish a run game and you're in week 13. So they're very one dimensional. They've even gone to throwing like bubble screens, you know, 15 times a game to try to, um, fake a run game essentially. And so, you know, it's really hard to pick, Penn State and that offense against a above average defense and above average team on the road. So I'm going to say Michigan State pulls it out by two or three points. It's going to be real close. And uh, as with all Penn State games, the under is always your best bet. Ryan? Tom, I got some news for you. You're way off. <laughs> yeah. Way off. Penn State wins this game. I think Penn State wins this game, not in a blowout, but I think they handle their business. Penn State doesn't do and, blowouts. No, they're not going to blow them out, but I think they're going to handle their business. I don't think it's. I think it's going to be a comfortable game. And here's the reason: you've said it all year. Penn State has the worst run de- offense in the in the country. Not the worst. You said they're about one twenty out of one thirty. What's Michigan State's passing defense out of 130? I believe they're dead last, right? 130. Yeah. They're 130th in the country in passing defense. That was before the Ohio State game where they gave up 650 yards passing. Before <laughs> that, they were already worse. They're the actually country. now they're 131. They just left a blank <laughs> space. Yeah, like North Dakota and South Dakota State are way better. Uh so yeah, this is this is the Clifford game. This is the Dotson uh, last game, one of the last games before he goes pro. Last game, uh, I think he has like 185 yards and two game and two touchdowns in this game. And I think Penn State wins this game like 23-13, 10 points, nice, easy, handle their business. 
So uh, one thing about Penn State, um, Christian Velu uh, finished off the last game, and so I don't know the status of Clifford. Um, Velu actually looked pretty good, better than I would say an injured Clifford. So I'll take a healthy Clifford, but I'll take a healthy Velu over an injured Clifford. Um, but I, I don't know. The Penn State, I don't feel like, has had the pass game to capitalize on that bad defense. So. I would love to see them win, but I, I think even if they win it, you're looking at like a four-point win. Like you said, just throw 15 screen passes to Dotson. He's going to break like two of them for long runs. Like the Steelers did this with Antonio Brown for years. Yeah. They threw him, Dan, you know, they threw 10 to 12 screen passes a game to him, and they're just like, look, break one of these 10. Just yep. break one. And Dotson is an elite athlete, so even in bad weather. I mean, Penn State should have been doing that all year. They should have been throwing at Dotson 25 times a game, but their like brilliant offensive coordinator they brought over from Texas. I don't know what he's doing. Like, um, you know, I give him the benefit of the the doubt, and we'll see how it goes next year. But like, I have not been impressed by his play calling to date. So, uh, I I suspect this will be Dotson's last game, even if Penn State makes a bowl. So I would love for him to show out and get like 300 yards receiving. That's it. All right. Great. I agree with, uh, with, with Brian on this one. Uh, I like Penn state in this game. All right. Last home game for Ed, Texas A&M at LSU A&M laying six and a half. Five and six, LSU needs this game to make a bowl. Total 45 and a half. Can LSU rally the troops one last time and get a win for Eddie O on his way out the door? Tom, what do you think? It would be a great story. I don't think they're very good. I don't think they played very well the last few weeks, uh, even in their wins. And I think Texas A&M is a far superior team. So I'm going to say no, but uh, I'll say they get a valiant effort and keep it within a touchdown. Ryan. Vegas knows something about this game. This is, this is weird. 16th ranked A&M at eight and three, five and six LSU with a lame duck coach on his way out the door. And this line's under a touchdown. Vegas knows something is up. And for me, this means stay the hell away from this game completely. That is correct, Ryan. This is the Saturday after Thanksgiving. This is a rivalry game because these two schools are relatively close to each other. Night game, Baton Rouge, party weekend in LSU, Ed's last game, people thinking about the national championship. It's going to be a very hard place for A&M to win. Stadium's going to be loud. Their quarterback sucks. Give me a, give me LSU in the six and a half. Don't know if we'll pull it off, but I think this is a close game late, and I love taking the points in this game. I don't think you can ever lay the six and a half. Okay, going on to the Big 12, where normally this game would be for a spot potentially in the college football playoff, but everyone's already eliminated the Big 12, so that's that. Oklahoma at Oklahoma State, both teams 10 and 1. Oak State laying four points, total 50 and a half. Oklahoma State with a really good under-the-radar season. Got to give their props for props, too. They played some great defense this year. It's the best defense Oklahoma State's had in, like, 
40 years or something like that. Um, they shut out Texas Tech last week. Now, I know Texas Tech isn't the same, but if you shut anyone out in the Big 12, you're doing something right. So props to them. Oklahoma, again, looks like trash. Uh, but it's just so hard to lay four points in this game. And the total is only 50 and a half. I have no clue on this game whatsoever. I can't find any angle, no clue what to do. Ryan, you got any ideas on this one? No, I'm, I'm really was it's, hoping that you were going to give me no. some, some, some tips to, uh, to sway me no. one way or the other. I, it's I impossible. Got I got nothing in this game. I, I don't like this Oklahoma team. I don't trust Gundy in this spot. This is a stay away. I don't know the over-under. If Oklahoma wins, it's going over. If Oklahoma State wins, it's going under. I, I don't know. This is complete stay away. But I am kind of intrigued to watch. Yeah, same here. Z, do you have any leans in this one? No, what you said, I actually watched most of the Oklahoma State-Texas Tech game. There was just nothing else that intrigued me at the time, and the two best games of the day were blowouts. I think that was on the same time as Utah-Oregon, which, you know, after the first quarter, I just tuned that one out. We all knew we all knew how that was going down. And uh, Oklahoma State wasn't any more entertaining to watch because that was just a smothering performance. So it was actually one of the most, you know, boring weeks in my opinion, because all of the the few games that should have been exciting ended up just uh, defensive smotherings. So on paper, I actually think this is Oklahoma State's year. They they're a very good D. They're um, like I was talking about with Penn State. You know, their defense is going to keep them in every game, and because we're used to the high flying offense, I think it's kind of weird. We just assume that they'll they're they're not good and that there must be something up, but I, I think the D's legit. That said, I am a little scarred from seeing this happen year after year in Oklahoma just winning. It's kind of like Ohio State, Michigan. You know, there's a lot of years where you think Michigan should keep it close, and then you you know the same result happens over and over and over. So I cannot bet Oklahoma State, but I can't bet Oklahoma. So what are you gonna do? Watch and enjoy. Well, I'll tell you, this is exactly what you should do, is not bet this game, but you should bet this next one. Pitt travels to Syracuse. Carrier Dome, 7.30 night game. Syracuse needs this game to get bowl eligible. Pitt now minus 13 all of a sudden. That's one up two points overnight because it opened at 11. Total 58. Go ahead, Ryan. Oh, here it is, folks. I knew it. <laughs> the tarmac report time. Dino, Dino, Dino. This is it for you, buddy. This is your <laughs> this is your chance to slog out the slowest, grossest, ugliest game of all time to try to win a, get to the bowl. I don't know why. I don't know what bowl would have you. Pinstripe, baby. They'll take anyone. Oh, God. It's bad. So, Dino, this is your swan song on both the tarmac report and the sidelines because you're gone. And number (laughs) five on the tarmac, that's Dino Babers. Oh, yeah. Dino is in. Cutcliffe, I felt bad. I'm going to let him have his retirement party and left him off this week. (laughs) 
Dino, you're sticking in. You're at number five. Number four, Butch, you're not going anywhere. You're staying <laughs> where you are on the tarmac, but you will be leaving Arkansas most likely soon. That is an embarrassing team. Can I say something quickly? You know, this relates back to the Butches when we realized that Butch was a nickname for uh, somebody who was a junior. And I was reading, you know, the local newspaper here today, and there was something like an attempted murder. And it was like, you know, something, something, something junior attempted to to murder somebody on, you know, whatever street. And I just go, Butch. <laughs> Correct. That is it's it's the way of the world now it's the way of the world okay moving on number three welcome to the tarmac rob carey from temple university yeah. holy shit is temple bad <laughs> if you go through like points for points against for the season dude Temple has like 162 points total on the year scored. Like in college football, like in that conference, there's not exactly world beating defenses. They've given up like 350 points and they've scored like 160. Like that's bad. That coach is no good. He came from, uh, Northern Illinois, he took over from uh, the like the best pro like team they had in years since like the Garrett Wolf days. They went like twelve and two, Orange Bowl, whatever. Since then, their records kept getting worse and worse every year. And he took the Temple job, has the f- good first season last year, one and six. This year, they're like two and nine. He's not a good coach. All right, number two, we're going to the MAC. And Scotty Leffler at Bowling Green, you are a disaster. (laughs) I am loving having the MAC back on Tuesdays and Wednesdays here at the end of the year. It is phenomenal, Mm -hmm. but it also alerts me to some terrible, terrible teams in the MAC. And since Akron already fired Tom Arth like three weeks ago, two and a half weeks ago, whatever it was, they fired him. We have to go to the next worst coach in the Mac, and that is Leffler at Bowling Green. He's no good. He's supposed to be a quarterback guru. Like his claim to fame is that he was like a graduate assistant when Tom Brady was at Michigan, and they're like friends. So he keeps getting these coaching jobs because he's like friends with Brady. Like great. Like that means nothing. I met Don McNabb and had lunch with him. Can I be a quarterback coach? Like pathetic. That guy's no good. And number one, Dan, you mentioned him earlier. He went to the big Island He got a half a century laid on him. He ate a bunch of poke. (laughs) Then he destroyed that airplane bathroom on the way back to Colorado. Steve Adazio, 
He was looking for some dudes, some lays, maybe some hula. And all he got was another L. They're going to lose this week to Nevada. That way they're going to close their season with six consecutive losses to end the year. Started 0-2, fought their way back to 3-3, only to lose six straight to end the year. Steve Adazio, I can't wait to watch you on the coach's roundtable during the national title game. It's my favorite broadcast of the year, and you're one of the best on it, but you're one of the worst coaches. Stick to TV, bro. Put in a dip, get some pizza, break down the game film. Very well done. I love the Tarmac Report, as always. Uh, I have a, a couple things to add. Number one is just a comment, like just congratulations on your hard work this year, Ryan, because <laughs> guys are dropping like flies and you just, you <laughs> slot in new guys. It's next man up on the tarmac report. There's you always got to find somebody you're going into the Mac. And so you're doing Tuesday night research for the tarmac. So you've really like, you've put in more hours than anyone this year. Um, he doesn't make any excuses. You know, I mean, there's, it, it's just, it's just next man up. It doesn't yeah. matter what transpires week after week. You just got to rally and put new people on the list. It's next man up. It's the, literally, it's really that simple. You're the anti Dan Mullen. You're working hard. You're out there finding new guys every week. It's just, just the most kudos possible to you on your job at the tarmac this year. The one thing I will note 70% chance of snow this weekend in Syracuse. So uh, Dino might not be able to go to the tarmac. He's taking a dog sled back to Texas. <laughs> oh, Dino's just going to go right over to Bowling Green when they fire their coach. Perfect. <laughs> You're right. Wear orange. He doesn't have to throw away his polos. <laughs> just take a marker and X out the Syracuse. That's the best. He keeps puts, all the orange. He go puts, right over there. He puts a piece of tape over the SU logo like you do when you go on a reality show and you can't have branding. No, no. He just takes so the good. SU and writes a BG in front of it because they're BGSU anyways. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Why is that a different font? <laughs> it's fine. Oh, that's funny. Good stuff. Well, all right. Um, Going back to this Pitt-Syracuse game, uh, there's no reason to bet Syracuse. They're not winning. Just move on with the rest of your day. Um, all right, couple last uh, small things to talk about. Notre Dame at Stanford. Stanford is really bad this year. This is the worst Stanford team we've seen in like, oh, I don't know, 15, 20 years or so. Stanford hammered Georgia Tech last week. Unsurprising to us, they're number five in the polls and just waiting to sneak right in there. They just need Georgia to beat Alabama uh, or Cincinnati to lose, and they'll be in. Uh, Notre Dame minus 19. Go ahead and lay the 19. Stanford doesn't give a fuck. David Shaw doesn't care. Notre Dame knows they got to win this game by 35 points, and I definitely think they will. Any disagreement with this one? No, not with the pick, but I do find it very interesting to watch what happens with Notre Dame because you're right. If Alabama loses, Notre Dame's going to sneak ahead of them and get in in the four spot. And 
every Alabama fan on earth is going to be rightfully pissed and be like, it's the four best teams. There's no argument that this year's Notre Dame is actually better than Alabama, but what will be the greatest thing and perhaps will be the breakdown of the 14 playoff for good, much in the way that the 94 Penn state, Nebraska situation ended, you know, that led to the BCS. If you want an 18 playoff root for Cincy to lose and for a one loss Notre Dame to get in over a one loss Cincy who beat them outright. And that'll be, that'll cause all sorts of shit. I actually think my secret theory is if that happens in order to avoid embarrassment, the uh, one loss big 12 winner is going to get back into the situation and pass both of those teams. And so you'll get an Oklahoma or Oklahoma state will sneak in at the four so that they don't have to put a one loss Notre Dame over a one loss Cincy. But if Cincy wins out and Alabama loses, Folks, I think we got exactly what we called last week. Georgia, one seed. Notre Dame, four seed. Spread, 31 and a half. Over, under, <laughs> 34. <laughs> yep. I'm being generous. If I were setting the line, it would be 32 and 32. Very true, Tom. By the way, that's the same for Georgia, Georgia Tech. Should, should be the same thing. The line should be the over, under. And it should be, in my opinion, 56. You're right. Um, all right. Last game, last game of the weekend. Night game, Clemson at South Carolina. Eight and three Clemson. Uh, laying 11 and a half, total 43. Their offense looked like they showed some life last week against the terrible Wake Forest defense. Clemson can win this game, go to a bowl game, win that, and finish with 10 wins, which I think would be pretty good considering how they started and how bad they've looked all year. South Carolina is South Carolina. Uh, Any thoughts at all on this one, Tom? No, except what you said. I mean, Clemson still can technically win the ACC and go to a New Year's Six Bowl. And I think there's a chance it might happen. We'll see. If Clemson wins this game, are they going to face off against the mighty Pitt Panthers again in the ACC title game? I think so. That'd be great. I would love that. Yeah, I I don't know what's up with Clemson. I didn't watch them last week, but you know, just based on scores, it seems like they're good again, possibly. Yeah, I don't know. I have no idea. Ryan, you got anything on this or any other games you guys want to talk about? No, no real thoughts on this game. Uh, South Carolina got their sixth win, so they're bowl eligible. This means nothing to them. So I look for them to basically no-show this game. Six and six, take a little vacation before some, uh, you know, December 27th bowl game. That's correct. Z, any other last, last games you want to talk about? Anything I missed this weekend that you wanted to bring up? Uh, no, except we've got a, um, well, I, I got two questions. I got a question for you guys. And then, uh, just observation that we've got an early line on the sec championship game, which is Georgia minus four over Alabama thoughts on that line. Does that sound correct? God, is that, is that fucking crazy? When was the last time you got more than a field goal with Alabama? When was the last time you got points with Alabama? I don't ever. Yeah. When was the last time they were an underdog? Was it against LSU? I think, uh, yeah, I, think I think 2019 LSU at LSU, right? But that was... Was, was yeah. LSU laying points against Alabama in that game? Yeah. 
I think so, but it wasn't a lot. It wasn't four. That's crazy. Um, oh, boy. Well, I will cross that bridge when we come to it. I need to do some extensive thinking about that one. That, that's extremely hard. All right, so my other question for you, uh, West Coasters. Um, Dave Aranda's name getting tossed around for the USC job as well as the LSU job. Uh, what do you think about that? Where should he go? Well, he's already coached at LSU. It makes a lot of sense for him to go back there. Um, but, I don't but know he's if that's from Southern California originally. Correct. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know. It, it's weird to me. Like technically LSU and USC are two of the biggest five college football programs in the country. And it seems like it's like the elite of the elite jobs. Um, you know, he, he isn't a flashy hire, but what he's done, especially this year, I mean, he's nine and two at Waco, which is incredibly good. Um, and that team plays hard and, and they're, they're really underrated. So USC, could use a coach like him who's not, you know, all over the place. You know, I think they got to go conservative. Um, LSU, I just have no idea what you do there. Um, it, it's going to be a really interesting couple weeks postseason to see where all these coaches move and move around to. Um, I'm looking forward to about two weeks from right now, like the Monday after the championship weekend where we get teams, uh, you know, are going to be saying that they're going to go play the peach bowl and all this shit. So we'll have an idea of where a lot of coaches are going and the bowl schedule. Um, there's, I, I honestly just have no idea. Uh, it's, it's really hard to say. Um, we got a couple minutes, Dan, would you like to talk about kid rock or would you like to tease that out for the next show? Hmm. Sure. I'll talk about Kid Rock. So that was a great transition, by the way. It was a hard transition. There was not even like a, <laughs> anyway. I just, I don't, I don't, don't want to lose the timeliness of this. And I only have about two minutes worth of stuff to say about him anyway. Sure. No problem. There's a new Kid Rock song called uh, Don't Tell Me How to Live. And it's his reply to all the wokeness that's going on in 2021. Um, I will preface this by saying I told my girlfriend that I had to do a, a, a Kid Rock segment tonight. And she was like, oh, okay. And then she walked by my computer about an hour before the podcast and saw I had the lyrics up on one of my monitors. She said, are, are these the lyrics to that song? And I said, yes, they are. She goes, this is terrible. I said, you are correct. It's for research. It's research purposes only. Use Pete Townsend's line. At least once a year on Take the Points. This, this is just it. for research. When the FBI so, sees that Kid Rock stuff on your computer, you got to tell them it was for research. So, yeah, um, basically Kid Rock, uh, if you haven't heard already, uh, leans a bit to the far right, I guess we're going to say. Um, he started off the first verse of the song, very similar to his first album, uh, talking about Devil Without a Cause uh and some other bullshit like that then he moves on to some complete nonsense uh he swears a lot and then he starts rhyming words that don't rhyme um that i can't really even read on on air he does drop um the names david lee roth roth bruce springsteen and james dean in the in the final verse which are 
interesting to try to work that into a lyrics of a song calling himself like Springsteen bitch. I'm the motherfucking boss. James Dean shit. I'm more like Brad Pitt. Well, Dan, this is the spiritual follow-up to American badass. When he starts rapping about bands, he likes, you know, I like Leonard Skinner, the stones kid rock. I imagine I Mandela affected myself for like 20 years. I thought that he named himself in the list of bands. I thought it was like, you know, Leonard Skinner, ZZ Top, Limp Corn, The Stones, Kid Rock. But apparently he does yeah. not say that. Not great. Um, overall, uh, the, the only positive that I can say is that it's not country Kid Rock. I guess that that's the only thing I can say. Um, I... I played it once on Spotify and I'm worried that Spotify is going to think I like it now and start trying to play some stuff that's like that. So I may have fucked myself over. I should have pulled it up on incognito mode on (laughs) Chrome on YouTube. That's the only way I should have played that. So I made a mistake. I'll let you know tomorrow if I'm driving to work and I hear 311 or something, which will definitely be results of this one search. Um, So this happened to me, Dan. Cause I listened to the song twice today for research oh, no. and I, let me, before I, you know, make my point, what I want to say about kid rock, which segues into the long awaited limp biscuit review. Um, here are some of the following songs that came on. It's not as bad as you would expect, but it's not great. So the first one that came on immediately after was I hate my life by theory of a dead man, which I guess is fitting. Um, I should note that um, one time, uh, a few months ago, again, for research, I Googled, I hate my life theory of a dead man. And I, uh, for about a week, I got results for the suicide hotline. So you gotta be careful when you're looking up new metal songs. Um, but also there was some buck cherry, some hinder, some shine down, got some days of the new. So oh boy, it was about what you'd expect, you know, going back to 2006, 2007, uh, post grunge rock. I'll keep you updated on my Spotify in the the next coming days. If something pops up that's out of line, I'll screenshot it and send it to you. And I'll say, I'll, I'll blame kid rock. So fingers crossed. It was just a one-time play and they don't hold me accountable, but no guarantees. So here's what I want to say about Kid Rock and, and Limp Biscuit, And, you know, I'll keep it short because I've been listening to the Limp Biscuit song. The, the new album still sucks, released in 2021 for research. I've listened several times. And uh, Kid Rock came out today and they're a nice compliment to each other because Kid Rock is talking about, um, you know, how he's being canceled for his views and, you know, how he's tough and everybody's weak. And ironically, the song sounds like the biggest like crybaby shit on earth. So it's kind of ironic. But what's funny is Kid Rock even gets bored of the concept and he raps about uh, cancel culture for three minutes. But then if you notice, Dan, in the last minute, he just basically gives up and starts rapping about how cool he is and all the spots he partied. It's like even he couldn't stick to the <laughs> to the act. And no. it's actually funny because when he starts doing that, it's, I'm not saying it's good, but relatively speaking, that minute is way better than the first three minutes of the song. And it's like, you should have just done this, the whole song. This would be, if you want to prove you're badass, like just talk about partying in Vegas. You don't need to like tell us you're badass, you know, just show it. Don't, yeah. don't say it. 
which uh, is my, this will be my 32nd review of Limp Biscuit because the more I listen, the real, I realize that there's not that much to say, except that Fred Durst uh, is the opposite of Kid Rock. He realizes that they're not cool and that they're never going to be cool again. And he's fully leaned into it on their, their newest album. There's a song called Dad Vibes. There's a song where he talks about how much he hates social media and he just wants to eat a snack. And it's really, everyone should listen one time and one time only for comic value. But they basically took all the things that you love about Limp Biscuit back in the day, all the things you hate about Limp Biscuit back in the day, and all the things that made Limp Biscuit funny and the band we've joked about for 20 years. And they basically combined them into one greatest hits type album of comedy. So it's very funny. It's worth your one listen. And it's the exact opposite about Kid Rock. Instead of just complaining about how they're not treated well, they're just like, it it actually starts off with something with a message saying like, you know, we must leave the past behind and we must find a new way forward. And then they do 35 minutes of the exact same shit they did in like 2001. So Kudos to Limp Biscuit. I'm going to say it on uh, leaning into the lameness and Kid Rock anti kudos for trying to be cool. Very good, Tom. And that was our bonus Thanksgiving treat of new metal. We've kept the new metal a little bit light this year. So we figured we'd give you something to listen to over your Thanksgiving we break. Ryan, any thoughts on new metal to end the show? <laughs> no, haven't listened to it. Don't intend to. What do you want to say, Ryan? You can have the last word, non-metal last word of the show. Hold on. Nothing. We aren't finished yet, but I don't mean to interrupt. But before you say that, we still have to do our our, our Thanksgiving thanks. We always give one thanks from each of us, what we're thankful for this this year. So, Ryan, you can go right ahead and start with that or talk about Limp Bizkit. You have two options. Uh... This year, I am thankful for. I am thankful for the return of live music, and the opportunity to go see Fish recently. It just, it was great. I missed it, and uh, so I give thanks. It's been like two years since I was at a show, so this was this was big. Yeah, I'm along the same lines. I'm thankful that the COVID is, you know, waning or or you can see the end in sight and people are back to doing things. I know a lot of people have been doing things for several months, but now kids can get vaccines and, and like it actually there is a path to the end of this, the actual end of this. So to me, that's the, by far the number one best thing that's happened this year. I'm I'm thankful as always for you guys as well and all our other friends who keep me sane when we weren't allowed to see people. Good. The text, um, the text messages I got from you guys are always hilarious, but they're you know ten times more valuable when you can't actually go and like joke with people in real life. It's true. Um, I'm going to be thankful for take the points this year. Uh, I'm going to say that this has been my entire life, the best profitable year of sports wagering I've ever had. This college football season by far was our, we, we, we've done extremely well picking games. I'm not just tuning our horn, forgetting the ones that we fucked up. 
I think we're really starting to get really good at this, and we're 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 we're, we're learning from our, mispa- our our mistakes and looking to find certain opportunities. We're not just blindly going, yeah, over. Don't worry about it. And this team's better. We're looking at a lot of different angles. We're focusing on coaching a lot more than ever. Looking at bad coaches and weird trends like that. But I'll tell you, uh, I've made a really good chunk of change this fall. Uh, thank you for legalizing sports wagering, Arizona. And all the different promo bets available out there. And um, this past weekend just absolutely killed again. Another one of those like amazing weekends of betting. Um, nice job by the three of us. Some sometimes, uh, you know, we um, you know have you know families and jobs and things like that. And it's hard for us to focus and do a lot of research. But I think just experience, just talking the games over year after year has really helped. And I think we're avoiding a lot of uh, spots where we lost money more than anything else and just focusing on the winners. But um, I've been, you know, re- re- like recording the show usually on Thursdays and then I'll listen to it um, in the morning before the game started on Saturday to kind of be like, what do we talk about? And then I'll go, Oh yeah, that one, that one, I'll make a little note. And I'm telling you, we, we've hit a good 60, 65% of bets this year, which is incredible. Um, and especially the past couple of weeks have been extremely good. So see if we can keep it going this week. I think all this like Ole Miss is probably one of our favorite bets of the week. So we'll see if that one can uh, start us off on a good foot on Thanksgiving night. Georgia, 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 Georgia. Georgia's a good one too. Pitt, Pitt, Georgia, oh, yeah. Ole Miss. Parlay. All right, Ryan, anything else to add? Bring us home. No. All right, we'll keep it simple then. Happy Thanksgiving. We'll be back next week for the SEC Championship Game Preview and uh, all the other great uh, championship games that come up, and then we'll do some kind of bowl specials. It's our favorite time of the year coming up, starting right after Thanksgiving. So we'll see you then. Good night. That's the point. That's the point. That's the point. That's the point. That's the point.